Yeah, Boston, you know, it was, it was one hit after the other. Boston got cancelled, the Paralympics got cancelled, and I think the general majority of athletes are doing the right thing, but there's this small minority that, that aren't, and, um, you know, if we can stand that out, great, but I, I believe if we're towing the start line, you want to make sure that everyone's on a fair playing field. At the end of the day, though, it's still going to be a Paralympic Games, and um, if I can win, it will still go down in history, and no one will ever be able to take that win away from me. I couldn't believe it. I stuck the ball over the line. I just remember thinking, I made it, I made it, I made it. I get up because I know that when I go to training, I can improve something or work on something. There's always something to get away from this session. So um, that's going to help me achieve my goals. So that's what it's definitely come to as I've gotten older. to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our mission is to protect the integrity of sport and the health and welfare of those who participate in Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Onside, I'm Tim Gavel. Today we'll be joined by Paralympian Michael Rozier, former NRL player Steve Jackson and swimmer Jessica Hansen. Well, for the past four years, our education team has been trailblazing a path using technology to deliver award-winning education to Australian athletes. The team has continued the trend this year with two of our education resources, the Health Effects of Doping Augmented Reality app and Clean Sport 101, the online course, winning a suite of learning design awards at the 2020 LearnX Summit. Awards continued the best use of technology and learning, the best augmented reality industry-specific skills training project, the best performance support project, the prestigious best free e-learning resource. So well done to the Sport Integrity Australia education team. Well, our first guest today is Michael Rozier. Michael grew up in South Australia before moving to the AIS in 2009. He started on the track as a 1500 metre runner and won bronze at the Rio Paralympics in 2016. He switched to the marathon and owns the T46 marathon world record with a time of 2 hours 19.32. The three-time Paralympian is chasing gold at Tokyo 2020. Michael Rozier joins us today. Well, Michael, um, with the Paralympics postponed, how do you reset your goals? It's tough. It's been a it's been a roller coaster of a ride the last you know four or five months. But I guess you know every day I get up and I still think about running the Paralympics. I still think about representing Australia and hopefully winning a gold medal. Um, and whilst that dream and desire is there, I'll still getting up and get out there and running. It is quite exhausting though training for a marathon, isn't it? It is, you know, it's it's not for the faint-hearted and we run, you know, 100 miles a week and more in some periods. But um, I think with the Paralympics still a chance to be on, I think, you know, I'll get up and still do it every day. What what motivates you? Oh, like I said before, just to, to win a gold medal for my country, listen to the National Anthem play when I'm standing on top of the podium. But also just to be the best athlete I can be. And if that's, you know, better than yesterday and better than the year before, I'll keep going. Um, ever since a young boy, I was running around the vineyards of Langhorn Creek and dreaming of a day that I'd be the best in the world. So that's pretty motivating for me. Because you were born with the, without the lower part of your right arm, you didn't see that as a disability? 
No, that's right. I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. I hadn't had to go through any trauma in my life. I was born like this. I've got a twin brother, Christopher, who took me under his wing and didn't treat me any differently. And that was like my community, Langhorn Creek as well. So I guess there has been difficult times, but most of my childhood was great memories and, you know, just getting in there and giving everything a go. And I think that came from my first passion AFL where I used to could take a mean hanger and hand pass with my stump and just love that growing up as a kid. I didn't think it was... Uh you didn't get pinged by the umpires. Oh, I no, I did. I did get done for a throw a few times, and it really used to get up my get up me because you know I did I did touch with the stump, and I thought that was a hand pass. But sometimes some umpires weren't so so keen on that. And no doubt, uh, a few tall stories told over the years as to you know, how it all happened. Yeah, you know, I was you know just touched the electric fence and my arm blew off, or you know, <laughs> a cow stood on it. But yeah, I've got a lot of stories. Shark, Shark crocodile, crocodile. Yeah, I was fishing up in Northern Territory, but um, <laughs> yeah, got a lot of stories that I tell. But yeah, sometimes I feel bad because I let them go too far, but I have to bring it back. Because little kids sometimes don't believe that people are born that way. Yeah, kids are you know they've got no filter and they yeah you, when you tell them you know I was just born without the lower half of my right arm you know they what. They, what, you can't be born like that, can you? So I've got to, you know, make up a story for them to understand. So you're going for your fourth Paralympics next year. You, you obviously have overcome a lot of injuries over the years. And I remember in the lead up to London, on the day of the London Paralympics, uh, and you lasted, what, half a lap? Yeah, it's, yeah, like sport, I think you, I'll probably do 100 races in my life and maybe 10% of them will be great. And London was a disaster in 2012. Um, I guess a long story short, I had a gastrointestinal bleed, which basically was just bleeding internally. And um, yeah, it wasn't good. And I got got halfway around and knew I had to get off the track and I just ran straight into the tunnel and basically collapsed and was in hospital for four days, had a blood transfusion. And yeah, I nearly didn't come back from that, to be honest, Tim. Yes, it was a near-death experience, wasn't it? It was. It was very scary. And um it took a, it was a long time to get over that and um, I think, yeah, Philo Saunders picked me up from nothing and, you know, we've come a long way in, what, seven years? Yes, you, you took on Philo as your coach. He has a running pedigree himself so he knows exactly what runners go through. Yeah, I think, you know, I was at the AIS training under Irena and Philo, was, Philo Saunders was my sports physiologist and I knew about him and his coaching and... Yeah, I think that was the, the right move for me after London and what happened there. And he, um, yeah, like you said, he's a, he's a great runner himself. Just having a look at your career and gold at the London Marathon in 2019 in a world record time. Boston, uh, 3.48 for the 1,500 metres, but it wasn't ratified because there was no drug testing there. Yeah, that's right. You know, first first London in 2019 when I, you know, won the world championships was... Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was, it was, um, you know, to to run a big city marathon, and that was incorporated as the Para Athletics World Championships. To win that was, you know, something pretty special. And and I ran the world record in the fifteen hundred a couple of years before that in Boston. That was today. That was in twenty fifteen, and today that's probably one of my greatest achievements. Only because Philo and I had been training for that record for a long time, and we were so close for a long time. But then to finally do it was. Um, yeah, if I could bottle that feeling up and sell it after I cross that finish line, it would be worth a million dollars. And I haven't got that feeling yet, and I hopefully I get it again when I win a gold medal at the Paralympics next year. Just in 2019, in the 1500 metres at the world titles, originally disqualified, but then given the silver medal, what happened there? Yeah, so that was November of 2019 in Dubai, and 
Um, I got in great shape, you know, after doing the marathon early in the year and then having an injury. And yeah, there was in the last lap, I was coming third and I went to get around two people and there was just a bit of elbowing and jostling, which jostling's fine in a race. And a track judge saw that um, and he, you know, raised the flag to say I was disqualified. But then on, re- and, I, and in, internally, I knew that I hadn't done anything, you know, uh, wrong or impeded anyone or, you know, unsportsmanship or foul like. So um, in the end of the day, the right decision got made. And, you know, once they looked at the, the replay, it was fine. And I, yeah, mm. claimed the silver medal. <laughs> now, during COVID, um, there were no overseas trips, no marathons overseas. So at the same time the Boston Marathon was scheduled, you decided to run around Lake Burley Griffin in April and, and you're running amongst people on, on a bike path, really, aren't you? Yep, that's exactly right, Tim. And um, yeah, Boston, you know, it was it was one hit after the other. Boston got cancelled, the Paralympics got cancelled and I'm a sort of athlete that needs a goal at the end of a hard training block and so Boston was off but then Philo and I had the idea to... Um, yeah, just run a marathon on a Saturday morning around the lake. And I remember that day, it was it was a beautiful morning, but far out, it was busy. There was like every man and his dog around the lake. and Well, there were dogs, weren't there? Yeah, there were, there were. There was everything. But um, yeah, that, that was surprising. Phil had sort of just told me to go out there and run 2.30 for, for, the, for the full marathon. and You ran 2.23. 2.23, which is in my class in the Paralympics is, you know, no one's run that fast. So I was pretty, pretty happy to, um, you know, run that quick in training. We didn't really taper for it, and it just shows that we're in we're in the right space and we're doing the right things. Because you ran two nineteen at Houston earlier in the year in January, so this was going to be your year, wasn't it? You you can see the build up, and you can see the times that you're recording, yeah. and suddenly COVID comes, and the Paralympics are postponed. How do you recover from something like that? Yeah, and it just yeah gave me a bit of shivers just when you're just mentioning that because I really did feel that twenty twenty was my year. You know, mentally, physically, I feel like I had. You know, all my competitors covered. I was mentally ready. I was physically, I was, you know, I, I felt like I could have done anything this year. And, you know, that's been taken away from me. And um, the tough thing is that uh, fitness, health, one year is not guaranteed the next year. So hopefully this time next year, you know, I'll be feeling as I did in, you know, February, March this year. And, um, yeah, I can do something special. Just on integrity in sport and the fact you know how much work you put into what you do, do you have any suspicions that somebody else might be taking shortcuts? You know, you know, there's always you always sort of think about that sort of stuff. And um, I don't just race in the Paralympics; I race with a lot of able-bodied racers as well. And um, it's tough these days because every great performance is always going to come under a cloud because you know the sport is moving so fast, and even with you know, Nike's Vaporfly shoes, yep. you know, you think about them, are they fair? Is that integrity in sport? Can they be illegal? Are they illegal? Um, I think technology, you know, drugs, it's all, they're pushing the boundaries where, you know, I think that sometimes we should just get back to basics and, you know, running, you know, shoes with not, no carbon fibre or no, you know, high stack foam. Um, and then with the drug side of things, you know, they're always going to be around and people are always going to be pushing the envelope, especially when there's a lot of money involved in sport. But in Paralympics, there seems to be less of that, doesn't there? Yeah, and I think that's a big, big reason why a lot of Paralympic athletes, you know, aren't leaning towards doping, just because the money is not there, as in our Olympic athletes, whereas, you know, they've got big sponsorships, big contracts, bonuses. If they run fast, they get a certain amount of money, whereas the Paralympics is not quite there yet. Um, so the incentive to dope is not there. 
Is there a feeling amongst Paralympians you're doing it for the right reasons because you love getting out there? And and is it you know sense of achievement, isn't it, uh, to run and and to be you know out there running with everybody? Yeah, I think so. I think the general population and even in the Olympics as well, I think the general majority of athletes are doing the right thing, but there's this small minority that that aren't and. Um you know, if we can stand that out, great. But I, I believe if we're towing the start line, you want to make sure that everyone's on a fair playing field. Just on your preparations for next year, you've got this pelvic injury at the moment. You're you worried about how things might turn out? Oh, look, I am home a little bit and um, it was a pretty significant injury in my pelvis and it is a little bit scary knowing that I've got to, you know, you know get back to 170k a week Um I'm, I'm not getting any younger and I've just got to make sure I get this injury right and we come out of it um, in the right way because I know what is required to run as fast as I want to run and that's, you know, running a lot and, yeah, I'm talking to my doctors and physios and I think we're on the right path. But, yeah, of course, I look ahead and I think, well, what if this injury is hanging around next year? But, mm. you know, I think um, I've got the best people looking after me so I think we'll get it right. What, what goes through your mind when you're, you're running those long distance, 170 k's a week? What do you think about? What do you do? Yeah, it's a funny question. I get asked it a lot and I think a lot of the time I sort of just zone out and don't think about too much. Other times I think about, you know, what's the plan for my day and what I need to do and then other times I'm just, you know, listening to my, my, my feet, my striking and, yeah, it's, it's sort of a way of meditation for me. Like if I don't get up and run before I start my day, I, I feel weird and, um, I think I'll be like that for a very long time. Yes. Uh, just as a final question, you, your family and friends, they're very important to you, aren't they? And you're disappointed, you know, if you're going to be competing next year at the Tokyo Paralympics, they won't be allowed to come. So that's a bit of a setback, knowing you as I do in, in terms of family and friends and, and yeah. what it means to you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's tough. Um, I feel like I've been robbed of an opportunity. I didn't have... Um, you know, my, my twin brother didn't have, hasn't watched me race at the Paralympics and him and his family were going to be there and um, my nephews, I've got three nephews and they were all going to be there and a few friends were coming over and Tokyo 2021 20, 20, is not going to be the same. Um, so it's, it's tough, you know, I, I do it for myself but I do it for my family as well and if I can just do a local race in Adelaide with my family there, that nearly just means as much as me as racing at the Paralympics. Well, it feel a little bit artificial having possibly no crowds there and just running for the sake of having a Paralympics on? Yeah, it will feel a little bit artificial, um, definitely. It's not going to be the same and it's going to be interesting to see what the organising committee put on and um, at the end of the day, though, it's still going to be a Paralympic Games and um, if I can win, it will still go down in history and no one will ever be able to take that win away from me. Please. And to hear the national anthem, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> that is the dream, Tim, to stand on the top of the step and uh, proudly sing the national anthem and, yeah... It's been a dream for a long time and still gives me shivers, you know, talking about it and thinking about it and hopefully one day I can tick that off. Good on you, Michael. Thanks very much for joining us on Onside today. Thank you. You're listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Welcome back to Onside. Time now for From the Highlight Reel. And today we're looking at the 1989 New South Wales Rugby League Grand Final, regarded as the greatest of all time. The Canberra Raiders defeating Balmain 19-14 in extra time. And the player who scored the match ceiling try was Steve Jackson for the Raiders. And Steve joins us now from Queensland. And Steve, um, just talking about it, brings back some great memories. 
<laughs> Hello, Tim. How are you going? Oh, look, they, um, it was 30 years later and uh, they're still talking about it. I went up to the fight uh, the other week up in Townsville with uh, Zoo and, um, and Horn. And uh, I sat here with Dan Monaghan, he's Jeff Horn, and we were sitting with a whole lot of reporters. And uh, they talked about the 89 grand final, saying that was probably one of the best grand finals ever. And I said, boys, your reporters, can you keep saying that? Because do you realise how many free lunches I've got over the last 30 years? (laughs) What's your greatest memory of that try and the grand final victory? Oh, look, the, the, uh, the game, I was just so fortunate to be added into that first grade side. Canberra had a very strong club back in them years. Their under-21s um, under uh, made the grand final, got beaten against South Sydney. Our reserve grade side, that was my side, we got beaten a week out from the grand final by Parramatta in extra time, we got beaten. And I remember it was an up-and-down season for me. It was, you know, I'd done my knee in my trial match. I lasted, you know, about 15 minutes in my, not my trial match, I lasted about 15 minutes in my debut against Balmain halfway through the year. So, I remember sitting in the dress and said, thinking, oh, God, I just wanted to play here. I'm a kid from Mackay. I just wanted to play in a, in a grand final. And, and I missed out. And then Tim come into the dressing shed and he said, right, Steve, I've got 20 men um, picked for this uh, LA grade grand final, but we're going to add you onto the list and we're going to go on with 21 players. And that, that's uh, eight fresh reserves. And as we all know, back in them days, no interchange. Only four players get a run. Only four reserves get a run. So... I didn't even think I was going to get a run. I was just happy to get a brand new jersey and sit and watch from the best seat in the house. Leading into that try, you had an involvement early in in the set of six and then obviously scored that try. But what was going through your mind? Was it, listen, I'm going to make my mark here or I'm just going to take my opportunity? Was it was anything going through your mind? Yeah, look, I, I was... Um, I. I I knew exactly what position of the uh, of the game we're in. It was uh, three minutes to go. Uh, we're leading by one point. Um, Mel picks the ball up from an Andy, Andy Courier grubber, and he give it to me. And I wasn't going to make a mistake. You know, I could have. I've seen on the replay done a little pirouette. I could have passed the ball inside to Stevie Walters, and he probably would have scored under the sticks. But in my mind, I was just not going to drop the ball, not make a mistake, and just keep running until they stop me. And uh, after a, a, a bit of a – I run into a couple of players and then I looked up, I saw the try line there and I and, uh, couldn't believe it. I stuck the ball over the line. I just remember thinking, I made it, I made it, I made it. And I looked up and saw a Bill, young Bill Harrigan with his arm pointing in my direction. And, yeah, it wasn't until later on that night I realised how, how big a moment that was. Well, let's, let's listen to that special moment, one of the great moments in rugby league history. And there it is, one point lead to the Canberra Raiders. Meninga's picked it up. Chicken George has got support too. And they're pulled down just oh, as he almost is there. Try! Steve Jackson reached out and scored. What will win the premiership for the Canberra Raiders? I didn't think there was any way he was going to make that, but he did. What strength, what power, what a grand fight. Still brings back some great memories, isn't it? <laughs> it's an awesome, awesome, unbelievable. Like I'm just a, I was a kid. I'm back in Mackay these days, and I was just a kid from Mackay. And who could ever think that I'd played in a dream? You know, you as a kid growing up, you watch uh, the Sydney Rugby League, New South Wales Rugby League on telly on a Saturday afternoon, watching your Les Boyd's and your 
and um, Stevie Rogers and I was a St. George follower when I was a young fella and, and to be in one of them games that I used to watch on TV was just remarkable. It's it's amazing how your life goes and and over the past 30 years it it's just been celebrated over and over. And I got to I got to stand on the football um, on the on the arena in front of 83,000 people last year when Canberra um, played in that grand final against the Roosters. And um, this game just keeps given, given, given. I love it. <laughs> well, it was about eight seconds of magic, and it's changed your life. It did. People, people said, "Oh, geez, you would have got a um, from scoring that try. You would have got a big contract at West the year before, uh, the year after." But uh, West were looking at me in the undergrades at Canberra, and I'd made that decision to go to West before uh, before that grand final. And uh, and yeah, well, mate, people remember me for that try. But you know, I, I got to play nine Origin matches as well, and um, you know, I, I I just love this game of football. Tell us what you're doing these days, Steve. Oh, I keep myself pretty busy. I wear a lot of caps. I, uh, I, I have two chicken franchises. Um, I've been in one of them for 23 years, and and I do real estate up here now with with PRD. And uh, I just love the catch and kill with the real estate. I, I'm head coach of my old club, Magpies. And um, yeah, I'm I'm just um, busy, busy, busy. You like being busy, though, don't you? That that's part of your uh, DNA. Yeah, I, I like to be active. Um, I'm not one of these people that can sit around and. And do nothing. I've got to be doing something. And and rugby league, like I said, it it, it owes no one, and and it just keeps giving. And I just I love coaching young fellas and and passing on my experience. I I, I give up the alcohol about eight years ago, and and I was um, I used to be a little bit of a naughty boy as a young fella coming through, and and I think I'm a pretty good teacher now. I can use my own experiences to help young people that that play this game. So the reason for giving it up. You just felt as though you needed to change your life. Yeah, well, it was taking control of what what I was doing. You know, I, I, when anything ever took control of me, I sort of stepped back and went, you know, well, what the hell am I doing? And and it, it was pretty difficult because I'd, um, as you come through uh, football, sort of it, you, you celebrate your moments, and usually the old Australian tradition is to celebrate with some alcohol and. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was 46 year old and my 12 year old son at the time, he, I think I had a big, big night and the next morning and I, I woke up and I thought, you know, what am I doing? You know, I, I want to be the dad that says, uh, do as I do, not, not do as I say. And, uh, and my kids are, are a very strong part of, of my life and, uh, probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. So that's, that's the reason I, I give it away. Do you find yourself an, you're an educator almost these days, aren't you? Oh, well through my experiences because I was, I was a bit of a naughty boy, you know, and, and you'll find a lot of them in rugby league, rugby league circles. Uh, you know, we, we don't dip our toe in the water. We dive in head first. And, uh, and if you can get through them crazy years and, and come out the other side and you become a, a, a good teacher. Yeah. Good on you, Steve. Thanks very much for joining us on side. Love talking to you. Love talking about the 1989 grand final and, and all the best in Mackay. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Tim, and I love talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Good on you, mate. Back with more with Onside in just a moment. Cheers, mate. Hello. Welcome back to Onside. I'm Tim Gable, and our next guest is Australian Dolphin Jessica Hanson. Jessica made her Australian debut at the 2016 World Short Course Swimming Championships in Canada, winning a bronze in the 4x100 medley relay. The breaststroker then won two medals at the 2018 and Pacific Championships 
and later won bronze in the women's 100 metres breaststroke at the 2018 World Short Course Swimming Championships in China. She's also a Sport Integrity Australia athlete educator. And Jess joins us today. And Jess, firstly, how have you been able to cope with the COVID shutdown and the postponed Olympics? Oh, it's been a challenge. Like it's um, something that you wouldn't ever expect to be thrown at you, a postponement of the Olympics. Um, and at first it was really challenging. Uh, my emotions were a bit all over the place. I was very frustrated, very angry. Um, but as soon as you came to terms with what was going on and um, especially the global effect this was ha- happening um, and having, you you kind of understood it and went, okay, this is this is okay. Um, and you you absorb it and you you roll with it and you set your goals and what you've got to do and um, yeah, take it from there. So mentally, is it hard to, to recalibrate? Uh, yeah, but I think if you've got the right support around you um, and you have have that time for reflection um, and think about what you need to do, I think um, that gives you a bit of clarity around what, what direction you want to go in. So um, I think it's as hard as what you make it. Yeah, but being in the, the leadership group with the Dolphins, do you have a, a role there in, in making sure everybody's okay? Uh, yeah, we definitely have a role, but we're very lucky at Swimming Australia and in the Dolphins team, we've got a fair bit of support with the psych and um, the athlete wellbeing and engagement in Lindley Frame. And uh, so those people are really, that's really their job to be there. But as a leadership group, we were very concerned about the, our engagement with the team and um, just connecting and making sure that people were feeling included and they had a place um, still within the swimming community um, and that was in our Dolphins team. So uh, I actually um, created this initiative just for within the team every week. I would um, send out uh, recommendations for the week for from um, – I'd get three different people from the team and just say, what do you recommend? It can be anything like have you cooked a good recipe? Are you watching something on Netflix? Have you read something? Just anything to keep people engaged – and then also give people something to do like, oh, that's I would never have picked to watch that on Netflix, but that person said to give it a go. So here I am going to give it a go. So, um, yeah, we got some great recommendations and I think that was uh, highly receptive to the team. So, And what did you recommend? Um, oh, I recommended the um, – I don't know – what it was on, but it's Chernobyl, the, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. that TV series. It, it was, that blew my mind. It was so good. Yes. It, so obviously, you know, the, the Olympic Games are going to be held this time next year. It, it you know, changes the way that you approach things because you've really got to prepare for another taper, haven't you? A, and another championships, you've got to prepare for a, another set of trials. You know, you, you've got to change your whole mindset, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, you do, but then in some ways it's also just a control copy, control paste. Like okay. it's um, uh, there is an element of repetition, but I've also just changed programs. So um, I'm looking at a whole new different 10 months now um, on the way that the coach and I will go about it. So um, there are elements that will be very similar and in terms of the emotional highs and lows that you'll go through um, – like being eight months out is a little bit tougher, but being four months out, you're starting to really hype up and uh, narrow your focus into into what you're doing. So I think those things will be the same, but um, in terms of my programming, it'll be it'll be different this year, and I think that'll be a good thing for me. Yeah, because you've changed coaches. Uh, Scott Talbot has been your coach, and now coached by Shannon Rollison at the ACT Hub in Canberra. Shannon, of course, with Jody Henry and a few other Olympic champions. So. 
you're hoping a bit might rub off there. He yeah. obviously knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And his um, pedigree with bre- female breaststrokers is just through the roof. So, um, yeah, when I came and worked with him, I, I really enjoyed the way he spoke about breaststroke and his cues that he gave me and um, also the confidence he had in my ability to explore and feel out breaststroke, which is a very technical swimming stroke. So um, that really appealed to me and we got along really well. So um, I was like, this, this could work. So what keeps you motivated in swimming? Because it can be quite monotonous. What, what drives you? Oh, your goals. And I think as I've gotten older, the goals have become a lot clearer and so you can understand why you're doing it. And there are definitely mornings. I'm not a morning person whatsoever. Mm. So um, to wake up in the morning is like, oh, my three alarms are going off and I'm going, okay, why am I doing this again? And then I get up because I know that when I go to training, I can improve something or work on something. There's always something to get away f- from this session. So um, that's going to help me achieve my goals. So that's what it's definitely come to as I've gotten older. But when I was younger, it's, it definitely was for my friends and um, the enjoyment of being around the team, uh, sometimes for my parents, like the, it ebbed and flowed throughout my swimming career. But now it's definitely towards my goals. And especially as I've now made the move into state away from my family, away from my boyfriend, away from my friends, um, I definitely have to keep at the forefront of my mind, why am I doing all this? And um, the purpose is to, to achieve that goal. And hard work, there's no substitute. I think Susie O'Neill once said that uh, if you cut corners, you swim in circles. Oh, uh, yeah. I like that one. Um, so it, it's pretty true though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You've got to put in the hard yards and um, in the end. There's also a quote um, at the Nunawarding, um, in the Nunawarding gym by Liesl Jones, who yep. swam there for a while. Uh, it was hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So... Um, you can have all the talent or you can have mm. all the hard work, but in the end, hard work, that, that's what pays off. Just on Liesl, uh, what a, an incredible role model to have as a breaststroker in the, in the 50 and 100, 200. Oh, unbelievable. And she, um, when I first moved to Rowan Taylor, who coached her for a long time, Row was so forward with his information and um, what he learnt from Liesl and what she learnt from him and uh, showed me a lot of videos of the way she swam and her technique and and things like that. So um, that was a few years where I learnt so much about breaststroke and female breaststroke and how to train and what to look for and the um, and all those types of things. And then also just her racing ability, like she just got up and raced. So um, yeah, she's always been an inspiration. She had the full bag of gold too, didn't she? Yeah, Commonwealth, Olympic, and World Championships yeah. and Pan Packs. So just on. You, as a breaststroker, do you see yourself always getting better? I mean, you've got a couple of swimmers there alongside you, you know, Georgia Bowl, Leaston Pickett. They're, they're probably your two main rivals at this stage. You, you sort of feel, and the young ones are coming through. You, you've, you've got to watch yourself, haven't you? Uh, yeah, you do, I guess. But um, I know within myself there's still way more room for improvement. Um, and also I'm also looking at the international stage and what I've got to do to be competitive there. So... Um, yes, I, I'm aware of what people are doing in Australia and, but I'm also aware of what people are doing internationally, but in the end it comes down to what I'm doing and what I have confidence in. So that's, that's the most important to me. Lily King. Yeah. You've spent some time with her, the Olympic champion. She, she must've been great to, to train alongside to see what she does. Yeah, absolutely. So I went over to Indiana university, um, for a, two stints actually, um, and trained with Lily King, who's a world record holder, as you said. Um, but also Annie Laser, who 
in last year, I think posted the fastest time in the 200 breaststroke. So, um, which was a 2.19 and no one's really been back to that time. Or maybe it was a 2.20 low. Um, so two like world-class breaststrokers. So to go up against those two every session, um, yeah, you, there's no, there's no hiding and there was definitely a high standard that was expected of you. So, but they're also great people, which is the other important thing. Um, when you get to know the people that you're racing is that they're, they're more than just a swimmer. They are a student and they are a boyfriend or girlfriend, a daughter, and they've got so much outside of swimming as well. Yes, it's for a holistic approach because you, you've been to uni yourself. You're sort of looking for other things apart from just swimming, including your role at Sport Integrity Australia. Tell us about that. Uh, oh, balance has always been a massive thing. My parents have always encouraged me to do. Um, all through school, all through sport, everything has been great. If you love it, do it and put your whole heart into it. But what other things have you got going on in your life and what else do you identify with? Um, and that's been a strong thing throughout my swimming career because you never know when an injury is going to strike or non-selection or COVID and you, you don't know what's going to happen and what could take you away from the sport. Um, and you, you put so much effort and energy into it. And so a lot of your identity ties into it. And then when you can't do it, where do you find your identity and your purpose and your fulfillment? Um, so I've always had that. Um, and that's where doing a university degree and uh, having my hobbies and my friends and all those other things outside and working at Sport Integrity Australia um, have filled my cup in other areas of my life and given me purpose and fulfillment um, and direction to look through, look at when I'm not swimming. So, um, and it also makes me when I do come back to swimming, I'm like, ah, oh, swimming again. So it's, there is this refreshment when I go back to it. And um, yeah, but I, I really enjoy it. And I like doing lots of different things. So, As an athlete educator, no doubt you're asked a lot of questions, but you've also got to present in front of people. How, yeah. do, you, how do you find that? Oh, it's taken some getting used to. I remember doing assembly um, presentations at school when I was sports captain and I would be standing on stage and my knees would just shake and I was like, I'm not nervous, but my knees are just shaking. So just as you do more of these school engagements and presentations and those types of things, you become more, much more comfortable being presenting and being in front of people um, and those types of things. But then it also comes down to the connection and I think that's the thing I really enjoy, like uh, connecting with school students or people from other sports or people within swimming um, and showing them that like to be at the top of your sport, you're still human, like I'm just still a person. You can get to this level too, like you can, I'm just like you and I think showing that personability and realness of being an elite athlete is to be just human um, is the part that I really enjoy about it. And then also, especially with my work at Sport Integrity Australia, it's all about clean, fair sport. So, um, and I'm passionate about that. It, it, it's good to be passionate about it. And I guess it's good to be informed about it as well, isn't it? So is there a lot that you didn't know before coming and working with ASADA, Stroke Sport Integrity Australia? Did you think, well, I didn't know that? Oh, absolutely. And I think... Um, every time you do something with them, you learn more and more about something else. So there's always plenty to learn. Um, but I think as an athlete, there are lots of stresses already. And so if you can reduce your stress by learning and being informed about the things that you can, which is um, anti-doping and your obligations towards that, it make, it just reduces that stress in a part of life you don't really need stress. So um, that's the thing that I've found as an elite athlete that's helped me with as well. So... 
Do you get press for questions? Do people want answers about things, fellow swimmers? Although this year's, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. But then you just go, I don't know. But I know the people that do know or could find out, so I'll find out from you for you. So, yeah, yeah. you're not meant to know everything. Yeah. I guess you're at a point where you can, can start reflecting a little bit and how it all started for you, swimming. How it all started, my parents moved to Australia um, from South Africa and I think when they got here they didn't have a lot of social networks and stuff so it was all about just and also swimming there's a lot of oceans and pools and stuff in Australia they wanted us to be safe and water confident so it started there and then I just progressed up through I was always very diligent with my technique and the coach at the small club that I was at saw and was like oh Jess has got to keep swimming she should try squad and mum and dad were like do you want to do it and I was like oh okay yeah I like swimming um, made some really good friends and that's what kind of kept me through um, all through school. Um, and then after school, it, there was a big realisation of, okay, well, why am I actually doing this? And that's where the probably the motivation to swim changed and shifted towards um, my the goals that I wanted to achieve and also coming back to just being the best athlete and person I could be. So um, that's how I kind of got into swimming and it's kind of always just been something that I've done. I have had stints where I haven't swum like through year 12 and and stuff like that, but um, it's always just been lingering in the background. And sometimes I'm just like, well, how am I the person that's still yeah. in the sport? Like it's because there's a huge drop off, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And it, even like some of the people that I've swum with um, at this high performance level have stopped. And you just think about all the different types of people that you've trained with, and how many good friends that I've got out of it from Victoria and from Australia and from overseas. So. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's a bit of a, whoa, like, has that actually happened and why am I the one still standing here? But um, I have so many good memories and I'm, I'm very grateful for everything that I've gone through, the highs and the lows. I did read that you fell out of a boat as, as a young person and it was one of the reasons why your mum and dad wanted to put you in swimming as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we were sailing around the Sundays, so yeah. <laughs> I should have learned to swim before that. But yeah, I think it was just a Let's let's do this for, for everyone's health and safety. Yes. So just looking at next year's Olympic Games, it's a pretty heavy program next year, isn't it? When you have a look at the Australian Championships, you've got the trials, Olympic Games. It, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. Um, but probably more like you train for the physical stuff, like swimming is a demanding sport in terms of its training schedule. Um, but I think the mental, mental and emotional tolls that those um, selections and trials and those types of things can have and in anticipation for it, that's, that's where it can really um, bite you if you're not prepared for it. Um, so I think, I think that's where it can take a big toll and you've got to... Got to change your body clock too a bit because of the possible finals at night and... Yeah, there's all that stuff, but you, you deal with that in the, Finals in the morning and heats at night. I'm not sure how they, they're going to work it out for the American television broadcasters. Yeah, all about the Americans. <laughs> um, well, they did it in Beijing, so we can do it again in Tokyo. I don't... Yeah, you just... You, could, God, you make it work. You make yeah. it work. And up and down the black line, it makes it all worthwhile once you get there? Oh, absolutely. I think whenever you put on the green and cold cap and swim for your country... And you have your teammates around you. There's no better feeling. So, um, yeah, there are definitely times in training where you're like, oh, man, this is laborious and you don't really want to be there sometimes. But in the end, you, you get to that point point. you go, this is why I've done it. And to remember those those 
highlight points for when you're in those really grind moments, that's when you can get through the tough ones and, and get out the other side to when it matters. And have you visualised what it might be like to stand on a podium? Yeah. At, at the Olympic Games? Yeah, yeah. And I, it's interesting when I think back to the visualisations, how they ebb and flow, like further away from the like trials or international meets, what I'm, what I'm visualising and then it, they kind of taper off a little bit and then they come back and so, yeah. In, I've learnt just to, just to roll with them and, and um, yeah, that's why I work with my psychologist as well and see, see and equip me with the tools to handle them. That's great, Jess. Thanks very much for joining us on Onside and, and all the best in your role at Sport Integrity Australia as well as next year's postponed Olympic Games in Tokyo. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And now for our segment from Left Field, where we answer a question from the public. Hey guys, my name's Hayley. I'm an Australian swimmer and a Sport Integrity Australia clean sport educator. My question from Left of Field today is, are antidepressants banned? Now the short answer to this question is no. There are some common medications like Prozac, Lexapro and Zoloft that are permitted for use in athletes. However, there are some substances in medications that may be prohibited for use in athletes. And if you were to have one of these, you would need a therapeutic use exemption. As we know, the status of substances can change. So it's really important to stay up to date with the prohibited list and make sure that you know the status of your substance. In addition, it's important to keep jumping on Global Dro and plugging in any of the medication that you are taking so that you know its status both in and out of competition. At the end of the day though, your mental health is most important, so make sure that you are checking in with your doctor if you feel like you need to or if you are taking any of these medications. Well, thanks for listening to Sport Integrity Australia's podcast Onside. I'm Tim Gavel. Join us shortly for our next episode. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to media at sportintegrity.gov.au. For more information on Sport Integrity Australia, please visit our website, www.sportintegrity.gov.au, or check out our Clean Sport app.